Welcome to Working for Women, the independent women's forum podcast, where we are changing the conversation about women and public policy for the better. Hello, I'm Hadley Heath Manning, Director of Health Policy at the Independent Women's Forum. And today I'm here with Ovik Roy, who is a healthcare policy expert and the author of two health policy books called Transcending Obamacare and How Medicaid Fails the Poor. Ovik is also president of a new think tank called the Foundation for Research on Equal Opportunity and the opinion editor at Forbes. Ovik, thank you so much for joining us today. Hadley, it's great to be with you. Of course. So today we're going to be discussing the future of Obamacare. It's a big topic. It's also known as the Affordable Care Act. And now we know that Donald Trump has won the presidential election and Republicans are holding on to majorities in both the House and the Senate. Um, So let me start us off with just a really broad question. What is next for this law? It's sort of the legacy law of the Obama years. What do you think will happen? Will it be repealed and replaced as has been promised? Well, I think so. I think there's a reasonably good chance that repeal and replace finally happens. Now, the repeal part, as you know, Hadley, is a lot easier than the replace part because Republicans agree on the fact they don't like Obamacare. They don't all agree on how to replace it. But there is a legislative path to get this done. Uh, What they can do is they can pass a bill through the Senate reconciliation process, which only requires 51 senators to agree, that would repeal Obamacare starting in 2019. So the repeal bill would pass now or in early 2017, but there would be a two-year window in which Obamacare was still online before it phased out. And then Republicans would use that two-year window to hash out an agreement on how to replace Obamacare. And hopefully they're able to do that and uh, and we're able to replace Obamacare with something better. One key point that we have to mention that your listeners absolutely need to know is that the replacement of, um, of Obamacare can't be done with Republican votes alone. They're going to need 60 votes, 6-0, 60 votes in the Senate to overcome a filibuster to replace Obamacare. And that means those 51 or 52 senators are going to have to find eight or nine Democrats to sign on to what they want to do. Right. And we should mention as history here, even though legislation typically takes 60 votes to pass, the budget reconciliation process that you're talking about, that was the same process that was used to pass the Affordable Care Act, correct? So we're talking well, about doing the yes repeal. And no. Yes okay. and no. Explain that a little so, bit. Okay. Yeah. So there is this, there is this view that, that's been out there in, in conservative media that Obamacare was passed by a reconciliation and therefore the repeal and replace of Obamacare can also be done via reconciliation alone. That's not true. So the way Obamacare passed was the the original Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act bill passed the Senate with 60 votes. You remember the Scott Brown election in Massachusetts right. where Ted Kennedy died and Scott Brown won in a special election to replace him. That took away the 60th vote for Obamacare. But – Democrats did pass an earlier version of Obamacare when they did control 60 votes. So what they did through reconciliation was they kind of put the cherry on top of the Obamacare cupcake uh, with reconciliation. And there were a couple of things about the Senate bill that Nancy Pelosi and uh, the House Democrats didn't like. And so they tweaked a few things that they were able to tweak using the reconciliation process. But the bulk of Obamacare, and most importantly, All the insurance regulations in Obamacare that have driven up so many people's premiums, 
All those were passed with 60 votes, not 51 votes. And uh, Republican attempts to replace those regulations will also require 60 votes. So if Republicans wanted to repeal some parts of Obamacare using reconciliation, those parts would be like the, the Medicaid expansion and the subsidies for people who buy in the Obamacare exchanges. Is that right? I mean, any of the the sort of um, expenditures in the law could be repealed that way, but you don't recommend that they do it that way. Is that right? Well, the way it works is the recon- according to Senate rules, and Senate rules could theoretically be changed. So, for example, if the Republican majority wants to, they could get rid of the filibuster. They absolutely could do that. But if they're going to keep the filibuster in place and the existing rules around reconciliation in place, which they are likely to do uh, because it protects them when Republicans are in the minority – Those rules say that you can only use the reconciliation process, the 51-vote process, for bills that have to do with the budget. So anything that has to do with taxes, anything that has to do with spending, anything that has to do with a deficit, those kinds of provisions can be passed through the reconciliation process. The reconciliation process does not allow you to pass legislation or parts of legislation that are not germane to the budget. So regulations that don't have a material impact on the budget can't be passed through reconciliation or changed through reconciliation. In addition, Social Security and Medicare can't be changed through the reconciliation process. So the the repeal bill that uh, Republicans passed in uh, last January, which the Independent Women's Forum uh, supported, if I recall correctly, that bill didn't repeal all of Obamacare. It repealed significant parts of Obamacare, the tax hikes, the Medicaid expansion, the subsidies for insurance on the Obamacare exchanges. But it did leave significant parts of Obamacare that didn't relate to taxing and spending in place. And you need 60 votes, according to most uh, uh, all the information we have today in order to repeal and replace those other parts of Obamacare because – and who decides, right? So how does that get decided? There's an officer in the Senate, the Senate parliamentarian, who basically rules on this stuff. So what happens is you'll have a bill that's going through the reconciliation process, and let's say a Democrat objects. I object to repealing uh, the regulations that drive up premiums because they're not germane to the budget deficit. Then the Senate parliamentarian gets to decide who, whether the Democrats are right or whether the authors of the legislation, the Republicans, are right. If the parliamentarian rules in favor of the Democrats – then that provision is struck from the reconciliation bill. That process played out last January, and the bill that Republicans passed through the Senate took all that into account. So it's likely to be uh, – the bill that's likely to pass this time around is going to be very similar to the bill that passed last time around. Some people are hoping that that the the new reconciliation bill can repeal more of Obamacare, and and I hope so too, but uh, we can't assume that based on uh, the fact that the parliamentarian is the same person this year as it was last year. Right, and if we want to really help people who are in pain due to the extreme premium hikes under the Affordable Care Act, then we will have to address a lot of the regulatory stuff in the law. It's not just a matter of uh, repealing parts of it, but we got to get it the right parts of it, right? So let's, um, 100%. Talk, let's yep. talk a little bit about um, what it means to get 60 votes. I mean, is it likely that there's going to be bipartisan support for repeal and replace? Yeah, so this is where the, the, the sequence of events I mentioned before really matters. So if you repeal Obamacare in the first quarter or first half of 2017, 
with that two-year window, that two-year phase-out. And then you give uh, Senate Republicans in particular two years to, to work out a replace bill. Um, there's an incentive for Democrats to play ball because if they're totally in, in, if they're totally intransigent, if they just you know oppose everything and say no to everything, then 20 million people or 15 million people or whatever the real number is will lose their health insurance, and that'll be their fault because they're being uh, sticks in the mud and not supporting credible legislation that could achieve the same result just in a more market-oriented, liberty-oriented, patient-centered way. So. That there will be an incentive for Democrats to play ball with Republicans, but I think what will happen is if the Republican uh, legislation is not very good, meaning it doesn't achieve coverage for more people in a market-based way, then Democrats will say, you know what, I don't, I'm not going to put my name to that because why should I? It's not going to really do any good for people. Um, there are Senate Democrats – there aren't all Bernie Sanders types. There are Senate Democrats who are open to market-based approaches – to uh, covering the uninsured, and it's up to Republicans to come up with a way uh, forward that appeals to them. And the the plan that we've produced at the Foundation for Research Opportunity and uh, uh, excuse me, the Foundation for Research on Equal Opportunity, which you can find at our website freopp.org, freeop.org, uh, it does that. It covers more people than Obamacare with less spending, less regulation, less taxes, and uh, far more deficit reduction. Than, uh, than any other plan that's out there over the long term. So uh, let's talk about some of the plans that are out there, and maybe let's talk a little specifically about your plan, because I think there's a real lack of information um, uh, among the public for what Republican health reform would look like, right? We've heard, uh, I think, unfairly that Republicans don't have a plan to replace Obamacare or the Republican health plan is just don't get sick. Remember that? Yeah, People yeah. like spew this demagoguery on the floor of the, the House or the Senate and say, you know, the Republican health plan is just don't get sick. Well, what answer do we as conservatives have to rhetoric like that? And how can we do a better job of communicating exactly what the goals and sort of the methods of uh, uh, more market-friendly, patient-centered health reform looks like. Yeah, you know, I, there's been progress on that. You know, Democrats used to say, and liberal pundits used to say, Republicans have no plan. You're not hearing them say that anymore because it's it, it doesn't meet the truth test. There are a lot of plans out there. It's just that there are different plans out there, and Republicans haven't come to a consensus as to what the final plan should look like. And that's okay. Democrats had the same disagreements. Remember all the debates about the public option and all that? The, the, you know, there, there are various uh, different approaches to, uh, to how to achieve a better health reform or better health system than the one we have today, and Republicans will hash that out. As to what are the differences... Um, you know, we could get, we could have a long conversation about the technical differences. And for people who really are interested in in that debate, I encourage them to follow uh, my uh, 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 my blog at Forbes, The Apothecary, where a number of the very best people, including a number of IWF members, uh, debate the ins and outs of uh, the conservative or market based approaches to uh, to replacing Obamacare every day. But what would I say are the basic uh, contours of the debate? The basic contours of the debate are, are really – it comes down to this in my mind. Do we accept the left's premise about how to achieve the best healthcare system, or do we believe something different? And what I mean by that is this. If we look at the rest of the, co the economy, if you look at 
say, I don't know, smartphones. No conservative – if you ask any conservative or a group of conservatives in a room, if you ask them, how many of you believe that more Americans would have smartphones if the government were doing more to regulate and run the smartphone industry? No hand would go up, right? Everyone would understand that the way to make sure that every American has a smartphone is to get the government out of the way. If we asked the conservatives in that room, what's the best way to make sure every American has a job? Most conservatives say it's to get the government out of the way. Let the economy grow. Let people do uh, what they want to do and let businesses start and <laughs> try not to inhibit uh, businesses from doing the things that, that will make them successful and allow them to hire more people, right? But somehow when it comes to healthcare, a lot of us have accepted the premise that the only way to make sure that every American has access to health care and health insurance is through more government. Well, it turns out that's not true. In Transcending Obamacare, we show that you can cover way more people than Obamacare by getting government out of the way, by letting insurers have uh, the flexibility to design products that consumers actually want and to give consumers more control over their own health care dollars. If patients control the health care dollars, you'll have a patient-centered health care system pretty much right away. And the reason we don't have a patient-centered health care system today is because patients don't control the dollars. The government does, and the insurance companies do. The, gov the federal government has messed up, has been messing up the health insurance system in America for 70 years, since the 40s and the 50s and the 60s. And this is something that's really important. So you hear a lot of conservatives say, well, there'll, there'll be some story in the news about somebody uh, who's uninsured, and the, the conservative response will be, well, it's not the government's role to do something about that. And I totally understand that, right? From a libertarian point of view, it's not the government's role to do something about this problem. But the thing that that response uh, forgets is that the reason there are people in America who can't afford health insurance is because of the federal government. It's the right. federal government and policies that federal government has been passing for 70 years. That is the reason that health insurance is unaffordable for millions, tens of millions of Americans. So we have a mandate and we have an ability, an opportunity to make reforms of the healthcare system that make health insurance more affordable by getting government out of the way. So in closing, maybe, Ovik, I want to ask you one more question. We've seen... Um you know, some debate over the health care issue in this election cycle, especially once the Department of Health and Human Services released some information about premium increases for 2017. It became a major issue in the presidential campaign. And if you looked at Trump's campaign website, he laid out sort of some policy changes that he wanted to make, including expanding the use of HSAs and allowing people to buy insurance across state lines. And then I know that House Republicans, under the leadership of Paul Ryan, have their proposal outlined in what they call a better way for health care. So do you, which of these two uh, leaders, the president-elect or the House Speaker, do you think will take a leadership role in the health care issue? And ultimately, do you think that the replacement plan will be something um, that looks a lot like what House Republicans are proposing today? Or do you think it will also include um, some of the suggestions that Trump has made on the campaign trail? Which, you know, is it going to be sort of a White House-led effort here? Or do you think that most of these uh, efforts will come from Congress? I think it's going to be a combination. I think it's going to be the House, it's going to be the Senate, and it's going to be the White House. Remember how Obamacare got passed. Obamacare wasn't written by Nancy Pelosi, who was then the Speaker of the House. Obamacare, the law, the bill, was written by the members of the Senate Finance Committee, um, and that became the bill that passed the Senate 
and then eventually got passed by the House and signed by the president. Obviously, the president campaigned on health care reform and achieved something pretty similar to the plan that he, he wanted to achieve. So all these, you know, if you look at Obamacare as kind of a template, all these different uh, groups had a, had a role to play. The most important is the Senate, because unless you can get 60 votes in the Senate, nothing can pass. And what I where where do all these groups where are they where do they agree and where do they differ? I think the president elect has said a lot of uh, he's he's very committed to repealing and uh, replacing Obamacare. He's been saying that for years, even before he ran for president. But one thing that he said that's very different from the typical Republican is that he wants to cover everybody. And as I've argued, you can cover everybody using market-based approaches. So I think where the debate's going to play out is you're going to have. The Paul, Paul Ryan has his a better way plan, but which, by the way, has not passed the House. That's a plan that the Speaker and a number of committee chairmen have put forward that hasn't necessarily been put to a vote in the House. But there's that plan. There's other plans in the House. There are a bunch of plans in the Senate. And then there's the, the president-elect and what he wants to do. And I think they'll all get together with those eight or nine Senate Democrats, and they'll have to come to agreement if we want to get to a better result. That sounds great, and I'm really looking forward to seeing this issue play out. Ovik, thank you so much for joining us today for this discussion. Um, as we're closing here, can you offer our listeners, maybe remind them um, more about your work and your new organization, where to follow and where to find some of these things? Yeah, so the first place to go is to the website of my think tank, the Foundation for Research on Equal Opportunity, where our plan, Transcending Obamacare, has been published. That's freeop.org, F-R-E-O-P-P. Org. You can also follow me on Twitter at at A-V-I-K and our, uh, the blog at Forbes that I was mentioning, The Apothecary. If you just Google uh, Forbes and The Apothecary, A-P-O-T-H-E-C-A-R-Y, you'll find our very robust debate about what conservatives should do on health care reform. Okay, thanks again, Ovik. This has been a Working for Women podcast with Ovik Roy. For more information about healthcare and other issues, we encourage our listeners to visit our website for the Independent Women's Forum. That is IWF.org. Thank you again, Ovik, for being our guest today. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please give it a thumbs up, share it on social media, or stop by IWF.org for similar content.